0: This episode of the Bucktails Podcast is brought to you by Pistol Creek and Trip Sporting Goods. Pick his head up. up. Yeah! Look at that. Good deer, babe. I've got with me today Chris Scheit. And uh, we are co-teachers, or not co-teachers, but we teach together at North Hall High School. And uh, I'm going to share my screen here and show the deer that we are here to talk about. If I still have it up, I have it somewhere. I'll just share my entire screen. All right. So here is the deer that Chris killed. I'm not sure if he if he's got it scored yet or not, but it's a huge seven pointer. Main frame six with a G3 on, on the deer's right hand side. I mean, just massive buck towering, main beams everywhere. I mean, it is a huge deer, uh, for sure. But that's what we're here to talk about today. But uh Chris has been on the episode or on the show once before for another big deer he's killed down there on the on their hunting property. And uh, just a great hunter. Me and him talk about deer all the time at school. Um, so, Chris, kind of the start to your year, we're already into November now. You killed this deer back in bow season. So just uh, let me know a little bit about how your year started. So what's what's been going on so far?
1: Hey, man, I just want to say thanks for having me on again. Uh, I always enjoy it. But um, this hunt, you know, this hunt, we've been hunting this deer for about four years now, I think. Um, I had a a good friend of mine, Brian down and I stuck him in this hardwood bottom down off the edge of the lake. And, uh, it was his first time being down there hunting. And that morning, uh, he came out and he was, I I'm guessing he was three or four then, you know, Brian said he was a long deer. He was a big mainframe six, just a huge six point. And uh, that's kind of when the whole journey on this deer started. Um, I've gotten pictures of him over the last two or three years uh, sporadically. Last year, he really started coming in on that feeder, and he started showing up quite a bit. And uh, that's kind of when I could, you know, started patterning him real good. Um, But uh, this year, you know, this year was a tough year for me. You know, my... uh, I lost my dad in may at the end of may um which is pretty tough thing and uh the whole summer you know was kind of just shot so i didn't really get out and fill my feeders up and things like i i usually do but you know it was always in the back of my mind like man this is going to be the first you know year without that going hunting so i don't have that guy to like you know call and you know shoot the crap with and just kind of figure things out you know I always trusted his like wisdom and his experience and things like that so leading up to this hunt you know i it was my first year without my dad and this buck had been showing up uh i started feeding in august early august and him and a couple other shooters were showing up pretty much every week um every day almost you know so i kept diligently going down in there um trying to keep my scent down you know these older bucks y'all they if they get a whiff of you're in there that could be enough just to send them out and you'll never see them again or they'll go turn on. you won't see them so going down in there i was real careful this year uh with my scent filling those feeders up and uh leading up to bow season started um I, I couldn't go down that open weekend uh and they had been showing up the week before him and another one pretty much every day morning and night so that sunday before Bo, the after bow season opened i drove down there and filled that feeder up it was empty And it took me four hours to drive down there and feed it up, fill it up. I just went down there, filled it up, came back. Uh, But that Friday before we talked and I was looking at the forecast of the weather and the way that I'm set up down there, I need a north wind. I need at least, and a northeast wind is perfect. Well, it just so happens checking that weather forecast that northeast wind was coming. But not only that, but it was going to be in the 50s you know september 18th 19th and that's kind of unheard of in georgia so it was just the perfect the perfect time to go in on them you know what i'm saying um so i told you i was like look man i'm going to take two days off if i got four days i'm going in you know i'm going to get them i'm going to at least see them and that happened to me last year and i missed a good one rookie mistake uh I didn't arrange them right but uh this year I knew you know those first two weeks in November or those last two weeks in November I could I could get a shot at a good one so once I saw that forecast and I was like the wind's gonna be perfect it's time to go and the temperature dropped everything looked good um I took some couple days off of work uh that I was like I made my mind up and then the, all that next week I just shot I shot you know 12 15 18 hours a day just getting you know used to it and uh, you know leading up to that uh, I got down there I was trying to get down there Thursday morning but I was or Wednesday night but I, I wasn't sure I changed I changed from expandables to fixed blade and I was still experimenting with that a little bit. And I was working on, I was still hitting up pie plate, you know what I'm saying? But I wasn't quite there. And like I said, man, I knew this was going to be a situation where like it's put me in coach. You got to be ready to go. I mean, I'm, I had a feeling I was going to get a shot at one of these deer. So I, uh, practice and practice and practice finally i got comfortable with those new broadheads and thursday morning i drove down um the feeder was already empty from sunday 350 pounds was gone so these deer are building that energy up that mass you know to go into the rut And I'm just kind of at the bubble of where there's a lot of bucks and I don't want to really go into that bubble so much. That's why I like that feeder because I can draw them out of it without putting all my scent and everything in there, you know, and that holds them. And that's real important. You know, when you're trying to grow big bucks, if you have private property and that's, you know, something you can do, but, uh, they were showing up man religiously and, uh, I, uh, Went in that I drove down Thursday morning, filled the feeder up, took a scent shower, you know, sprayed down, let everything dry, went in and filled that feeder up, drove back out, and then walked in and started hunting. And my reasoning behind that was because you're going to leave some scent, but if I go in and fill that feeder up, the scent I leave could possibly, they just be like, oh, okay, he was just in here, you know. That might sound weird, but um, there's something to it. So, and I was in scent lock and everything, had gloves on and everything when I did that. So I came out, walked back in and started hunting. And I mean, I was lit up with deer that whole night. And the way it's set up is I have a shooting lane that's running pretty much east to west. And I have a tower a uh, redneck vine up on the top of the hill that's looking at that feeder. But archery season, I can, you know, get a little closer to that feeder. and, But the thing is that timber's been cut probably 30 years, maybe 20 years ago. I mean, it's not tall at all. So the only way I can hunt that feeder with a bow is a tripod stand. There's just not trees big enough to do it. So last year I bought a tripod, and, I mean, this thing is only – Ten feet off the ground, but I found the, a little patch of trees. It's it's a couple of pines and some pin oaks, about three or four pin oaks, and it just makes this perfect little cove. And I just took that tripod and I mushed it up in there, and uh, I'm sitting about thirty yards off that feeder. I got a lot of cover, um. So when I went in, you know, I just kind of eased to that feeder. I sat there that night, and uh, I saw. 12 14 different deer i mean there were deer at the bottom of the ladder and it just was so weird to me because i'm usually up high i usually climb so i'm like 25 feet up so uh you know it's not a big deal but being 10 feet off the ground was weird and i mean there are deer all around me all on the feeder um didn't see the shooters but saw like five six bachelors you know five six doe but when deer on the feeder there's other deer working around it so i mean literally they were eight feet from me it was crazy it was awesome my heart was beating, and that was such a good thing to have that like to kind of get your adrenal glands going and kind of fight through that you know uh because the next morning was just it, it was something else but watch deer for two hours and then finally, at last light, I see a doe start coming in right at the edge of the woods in the shadows, and there's just just a huge deer behind her. I mean, he would, I could see the top of his rack, and I could see he was wide and tall. I could see he was long, um, a lot of mass, but it was just black. He was just back in the shadows, and he was playing it smart. He was standing in the shadows and he let that doe come up to the feeder and he would just watched her. And uh I watched him, man. I turned the light on on my bow. I got up on him, but it was just too blurry. I just couldn't make out where he was, you know, his body. And she was eating. And I mean, lights fading, but we have a i lost your mic i'm sorry we have a lot of sand down there so i could see him on the lane but i couldn't see him in the edge of the woods you know and i mean it was four five six minutes she came in and started feeding finally and he was inching just four feet stop wait a couple minutes four feet stop wait a couple minutes and i only needed about eight more steps and uh I guess the wind changed or something, and she bolted and he bolted, and that was it. But I hadn't hunted archery all year. That was my first hunt down there, and it was just a good break into it because the next morning was pretty special.
0: Yeah, man, I bet that was, uh, I know you told me a little bit about that, how you had to watch him walk away or how they bolted, you know, that's, uh, something's tough to do. The, uh, target buck i killed last year luckily the first time i saw him on the hoof it was just him and i killed him so i didn't have to wait i uh you know i got i got lucky um but a lot of people especially hunting on a feeder like you said you had 12 deer around you the whole night right up on you so i mean it's a lot it's a whole other factor you have to worry about you know not only scent but just being concealed like you said you've got good cover which is good but uh Man, it's a whole other dynamic hunting on a feeder like that and you've been feeding down there in the same area how long have you had a feeder there would you say in that same spot uh i think this is my fourth or fifth year down
1: there yeah fourth year down there fifth year on the north side but uh yeah so it's um uh, like i said it's just a, a good tool uh to bring them out of the woods you know and you know, we're pretty blessed to have, you know, a private property, uh, and it's just family that hunts it. So, you know, our goal is managing the herd, you know, and really just in the last three or four years, we, we always planted food plots, you know, um, but feeders was something that we never really did because we really enjoyed like that free hunt, but, uh, you know, it's, you get older and, uh, feeders especially if you don't have the best soil and the best crops it can be a good tool uh, like i said man you can draw a lot of deer out of some big woods and you don't have to go in there and mess with it and you know risk that chance of, of bumping a good buck out of there and uh plus you know what i really want is to maximize the potential of the the genetics we have down there you know And I want to kill some big bucks with the years I have left that I can hunt, you know? So, um, I don't do a whole lot, you know, I can only afford to really run two feeders, you know, and that's a couple hundred bucks a month, but that's, you know, that's about all I can do. But, uh, it is definitely, it's different. Like you said, when deer come in on a feeder, they know something's up. They are so cautious. And you just have to you have to pick your moment to go in. You have to know when to go in. Um, and you gotta do your homework. You gotta do your work. Like I said, you gotta run cameras, look at these deer, figure out where they're at, get those big ones coming in there, and then pattern them out, go down there, fill that feeder up, fill that feeder up, fill that feeder up, keep it full, and then wait for that perfect wind to go in, you know, maximize. You you want to spend as as least amount of time in there as possible. And now there's a lot of tools out there you can do that with, you know, apps and things like that uh, that can really help out. And I'm kind of branching into that, you know. Um, I'm kind of an old timer, but uh, those old timers can still teach you something, you know.
0: Yeah, right, right. You know, like you said, the technology nowadays is uh is crazy. I know you run cell cams. We, you know, I, there's almost a daily picture, like every morning. You're be showing me a buck that was there last night or a buck that was in there this morning. And we'll get into this later, but you've you've got a target buck, another one that was in there this morning. And, you know, you're a couple hours north of your uh, hunting property, but you know exactly, you know, when's a good time to go, when's a good time to not go. And uh, like you said, if you pick your... Your chance is right. Pick your right days. Wait on that right wind. Uh, you can really maximize it. That without wind, bumping them as so all yeah, no, for real. Um, but yeah, if you can not bump them out and me and you talked about this before in about, you know, you've got to be a little gutsy sometimes, but hunt, if you're hunting a certain piece of property all year long like you really got to be careful because you don't want to bump them. I mean, you may bump them to a different side of the property or bump them off of your property. Sometimes they don't care, you know, if it's the rut or, you know, summertime, something like that. They're a little bit less, you know, spooky. But other times of the year, those mature bucks, if you're not smart, then like you said, they can be gone or more more often nocturnal is what I've seen on our property. I mean, we know they're there, but the only, bu- only pictures we have of good bucks is 12, 1, 2 in the morning, and that's, you know, can't do anything about that. So,
1: yeah, for sure. And like, you know, once, once you, you look at your cameras and cell cams are awesome because you don't have to go in and leave all of that scent, you know, checking them every time. But when they start daylighting, it's getting time, you know? Um, so I had a awesome hunt that uh, Thursday night. Uh my nephew, Greg came over, we have a little cabin up there. I was staying at, um, and we hung out. We talked a lot. We talked a lot about archery and, uh, you know, my grandfather, um, was a big archer. We grew up in Northwest Pennsylvania, but back then he, you know, after war, whenever all the guys came home, you know, he, uh, he made his own bows. He made his own arrows, of course, recurves back then, and he killed a lot of deer. And like I said, up there in Northwest PA, back then, you got two or three deer a winter just to, you know, to have some good meat. And they had big families back then. So I was telling him all about that. We stayed up talking until like one in the morning. And I was showing the new broadheads I got. And he kind of looked at me and he was like, you know, why why do you do archery? And that's kind of when I told him about the whole family tradition thing about it. And I was like, it's just tradition, man. It's like a crossbow would be so much easier but i was like no nah, i'm just i'm this is what i love to do you know and uh he's like it's it's like the hardest way to kill a deer and i was like yeah i know i know but uh barely slept that night you know i got up about four o'clock greg left at like one and uh i slept about three hours barely got up took a chance shower ate a little bit, chilled out for a little bit, got everything ready. And I'm looking at my phone and uh, both those shooter bucks are in there. And I'm like, I'm ready to go in and they're on that feeder. And that's something else you got to think about is your access because they're going to be in there. And how the heck do you get in there? You know, especially archery when you got to be 30 yards from the feeder. Uh, So I was watching They stayed in there from, like, 5 to something. Uh, Light, about 7 o'clock at that time of year is when, you know, light starts coming in. So I was like, crap. But I knew that Big Six was daylighting. He would come in at about 5, but he would also come in about 9 the last couple days and that Big 8 that I was after, too. And uh, I was betting on that. I was like, look, they're in there now, but I have got to get in there. And that's where your whole risk-reward type, you know, calculation comes into play. Um, Really, Eli, at this place, those last two weeks of September, I got them. I got them powdered good. After that, it gets a lot harder. So I really want to try to pick the best time to go in there, get in there perfectly, because that first sit, is when it happens, you know, those first couple sits. And uh I was watching and they stayed in there for a while. And then there was all these other bucks in there and those and I was kind of like, what do I do? So <clears throat> I uh just waited a little bit but I saw that sun starting to crest over the pine trees and I was like oh crap you know um they finally calmed down and there was a four pointer in there. And it's about a five-minute ride in the side-by-side over to where I park. And then it's about, I walk in about a half a mile, three-quarters of a mile. So it'll take me about 20 minutes. So about six o'clock, I was like, look, I got to go. I got to get in there, you know. Um, By that point, I was like, if there's some deer in there and I bump them, you know, it is what it is. I'm not worried about it. So I drive across the field. And as I'm coming across the big field to get in there, I bump like three does. Then I come up, I bump another three does and a buck. I couldn't tell what it was, but it was a big one. It was real big. So I go in there and I go to park and there's a dang doe standing right where I park my side by side. And I was like, Oh my God, man. I'm just screwing. I'm just screwing this all up, you know? But I was like, I got to get in there. He's going to be there at nine. So I go in park, I walk in, there was like one or two deer that blew out me walking down and It's pretty good access because it's like old, sandy road, Um, so it's quiet as long as there's not a lot of leaves on there. Uh, I walk in, I can easily cut over and then go down that sheet lane and dip in my stand. So I get there and I decided to go in when I didn't have to use a flashlight, when there was just enough light, just enough dark that I could walk without a flashlight. And I get down there. I get right to the by my stand. I'm checking my camera. I'm like, okay, that four-pointer's in there. Sure enough, I walk down. He looks at me, but he just bolts out. I climb up, get set, ready to go, you know. Um, and uh, sit, and the sun comes up. It's There was a lot of dew on the ground. It was real wet. Once the sun started coming up, I mean it was just almost like it was raining or sprinkling. So much dude going from like 80 something to 56 degrees, you know. Um I think that kind of helped with my scent. But uh I didn't see nothing. Not one deer um until about 8:50. And at 8:50 I'm hearing some things behind me. Uh and there's like a lot of it's like a bird. I think it's called like a titmouse, tufted titmouse. And they run in little packs and they like work on the side of pine trees and stuff. There's always some down there. And uh, I thought that's what it was behind me. I kept hearing some. And there's a big pin oak to my right, to my left. And I'm sitting there with the bow in my lap. And like I said, I'm only 10 feet off the ground. So I'm looking and I hear something walking. And sure enough, it, I mean, 10 feet from me is that big eight. He's right there. I can see him through the branches. He doesn't see me. And then he steps out right in front of me. He's at like six yards. And I'm looking at him, and I'm like, oh, my God. And he was big. He was a big deer. Um, but that other one was a trophy and i heard something behind him and i was like well let's just see what happens i don't want to shoot him yet well he was pretty bold he just went kind of out he stopped a couple times and went out to the feeder and i still heard something moving back there and he was started he went out and started feeding and i'm looking 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 perfect being perfectly still and sure enough that big six walks out And he's about probably 16 yards from me, but he's in grass, and I can't, like, shoot him. I mean, he's so close I couldn't even draw on him. Uh, So cautious. I mean, he came out and stopped, and he would sit there and lick the air, look around, and stop for, like, three or four minutes. And he'd take another four steps, and he'd stop for three or four minutes. By that time, some other deer started showing up. Some little bucks started hitting the feeder with that big eight. And I'm looking at that big eight, and I'm like, man, he's standing perfectly broadside at 30 yards. I could have shot him 50 times. And I'm like, going through that medal game, like, do I take the big eight? That's a sure chance. But I'm looking at him, and I'm like, man, that's the trophy right there. That's the one that all the guys have been trying to get out of there. And the other reason we're trying to get him out of there is he's a bully. He's a bruiser. He's bumping bucks that have way better genetics out of there. He's just, he's huge. So I'm watching him, man. And it was the craziest hunt, Eli. It was just so intense. You know, you if you ever watch like a cougar hunt like a, a deer, you know, or something, I'll take a couple steps and stop and kind of recalculate and take a couple steps. It was like that, but I couldn't move. It was just all in my head. I just had to, like, outthink this whole situation. And the whole time, these deer are just filling up. And it was the same thing as last night, the night before, but this time I got two shooters there. So he finally comes around. And after about 10 minutes, he starts working his way across and when he comes out into the shooting lane he's still in grass but when he when he busts that grass and he's out in the open and i can see him broadside i just about lost it i was like oh my god man and that's when i was like you know like i said this was my first time um since my dad passed and i was wait you know it was i wanted to get this buck for him so at that point, I was just kind of freaked out. And I was like, Dad, you know, what the hell do I do? And he kind of talked back to me, you know, in spirit. He was like, "Look, well, you're good. Just relax. He's going to come into that feeder. You're doing good. And uh, sure enough, he came in and started feeding. But now he's facing me. And there's, you know, five, six deer around. He's looking right at me. I can't draw on him. And another two or three minutes go by. And what saved me was another couple of doe came down the shooting lane and he came off that feeder to knock them off of there. And when he did, there was a buck that was like eating the feeder this way. And then he was behind that buck. All right. So there's the eight pointer in front of me and he's behind it, but he's facing the other direction, but I can see his whole body. And I I don't know, like, I know you hunt with a crossbow, but arrows do a lot of funky stuff that like last 10, 15 yards. You know what I'm saying? So I was looking at him, I was like, I was thinking I could get, I could do it. And I saw his body. This was the first time I was like, okay, I have a shot. And I didn't have too much time to make up my mind. So I pulled my bow up. I sat the camp, bottom cam on my knee. I got lined up on him. Drew back. Settled on his, you know, that crease in his shoulder just about three inches up from there. And I touched that arrow off. And uh, I thought I was shooting high because I shot him sitting down. And I mean, the arrow looks so high. But when it got to the, the deer, the drop it missed that eight-pointer by about four inches, his back. And that eight-pointer dropped like this and just nailed that big six, like square in the shoulder, perfect center of the bread basket. And I was like, oh, my God, it happened. It freaking happened. I can't believe it. Um, I saw the arrow pass through, super clean. Um, he ran off, but he was kind of running zigzagging you know as he was going and i just lost it man i was like oh my god i I wanted to cry i wanted to laugh i wanted to shout um it was it was a special hunt it was a real special hunt i'll never forget it and then right after that i called my i texted brian i texted you uh brian called me it's like he called me right away he don't give a crap yeah um And I told him what happened. He's like, you're lucky, you know, some, yeah. And uh, I texted you, um, sat there for about 20, 30 minutes. I called Greg, told him what happened. And uh, he came down there. And I, I knew I hit him pretty good. And I thought I heard him crash, but. I wanted to play it safe. I talked to Brian. And he's like, look, don't go get, bring the side-by-side in yet. You want to go find them before you bring that in in case you bump them. And I was like, all right, that sounds good. So Greg showed up. He gets down there. We go find the arrow. The arrow, clean pass, like I said. There's blood up. There's bubbles. And we start tracking him. And I had found where he went in the woods. I put a stick there. And, uh. It was the weirdest track, man, because he was bleeding out of both sides, and he was zigzagging. I was he was running, so like you'd find blood here, then you find blood here, then you find blood here, then you find blood here. So we were super zoned in. I mean, just looking for blood, uh, and we went about I, I'd say fifty yards, and uh, we're looking. for what looking for goes next. And I look up, and we're kind of in some of the sawgrass and stuff like that. And I look up, and in a little clearing, like 20 feet from us, there he was. He was laying there. And I was like, there he is. dude, right there. I mean, if we would have looked up the whole time, we would have saw him, like, way back there. But we were zoning on the ground. And I just remember looking at his rack and how tall his rack and the mass on it looked to his body. But his body was so long. And his gut, his belly, was two and a half, three feet off the ground, the other side. Huge deer. Um, I'm guessing he was seven or eight years old. He had a this black mask, um, just a super mature deer. And, uh, you know, Greg, he couldn't believe it, I, to be honest with you. <laughs> Hell, I could barely believe it. But uh, we go up to him and... I did the whole props, you know, to my dad and uh god and things like that and he gave me a big hug and uh we took that picture that you put up a little bit earlier. And that's how it went down.
0: Man, you you had me on the edge of my seat here about how that went down. Having to watch him take a few steps, wait 4 minutes. Take a few steps, wait 4 minutes. And then with another shooter that any other hunter in Georgia probably would have shot, you know, but you had the wherewithal to be like, no, nah, I'm going to wait on that right there. That's, that's what I want. You know, that's uh, got some ice in your veins for sure. But uh, no, that, that story, that's insane. Like that's, it had, and then he got up there and he was looking at you so you couldn't draw. And that's something, like you said, I hunt with a crossbow. So mine's a little bit easier. It's like shooting a rifle. You know, you got it. I keep it on a tripod. I lift it up and you know, it's, it's there, you know. But with a bow, it's a whole other dynamic. You've got five on the feeder. you got to wait when do you draw back. And like you said, he, the, thankfully, you had a couple of random does come in that he wanted to run off. But holy crap, man, that's – uh, what, what was going through your mind whenever you heard – like, to me, bow hunting, one of my favorite things is you can hear everything. You know, when you shoot a gun – You're deaf for a couple of minutes. Like you shoot, you know, you can see it run off, you know, or they drop, you know, hopefully. But, you know, with a gun, you can't hear all the sounds. But with a bow, it's so quiet. I mean, you hear all the deer run, you hear the impact. What was going through your mind? Like when you saw the good pass through and you saw him take off, like what was, what was like, what was your thought? Man, I was just,
1: I just couldn't believe it. I was just in disbelief. I mean, it was such a, a release from that, you know, I was watching them for 15, 20 minutes. I mean, it was intense. And to finally get to know that I, I waited and picked the perfect moment and then I made the shot. It's like coaching soccer, man. You know, it was just like one of those things where like, it just, it all worked together. Um, You're having to keep an eye on so many different moving parts at the same time. But when I saw that arrow sink and I saw I mean i saw it made a little mark right in the center of his shoulder and i saw that end of it disappear <laughs> and uh i kind of do my Fletchings kind of chuck adams style you know famous archer chuck adams i i love watching him growing up i think he's an awesome guy um but he always does like two red fins or veins and then a, a white vein so i did two white veins and a red vein red vein being my cock feather and then the white i can pick up the blood you know and i saw that thing disappear and the funny thing was is is it was almost like the perfect thing because you worry about sound you know with the bow um i'm shooting a matthew's adrenaline which i bought back in 2007 and it's shooting about 320 feet per second but that's plenty fast enough you know um it was set up great for me, and, and I love that bow. Uh, so the, the speed, the sound was what I was worried about, but it was not a factor. Like, And I think that that eight-pointer being in front of him kind of threw the pick for him. You know what I'm saying? Because that eight-pointer, I mean, like I said, dude, I, I thought I was going to hit his back straps. I mean, it was close. I kind of misjudged my calculation on the drop of the arrow. I mean, it was a little closer than I thought it was going to be. That was the other thing that kind of amazed me. But um, the other thing was, is the reason why I didn't shoot the eight, because I knew if I shot that eight in front of that six, it was so sketchy. It would never come back. It would not come back to that feeder. And that's something else you got to be super careful about. When you finally do locate that mature buck, I mean, he doesn't mess around. He'll be gone. Um, So, yeah, it was just... It was just the feeling of oh my god! Three years of looking, dreaming at this deer, showing you pictures of this
0: deer, and I
1: got it with an arrow. It was awesome.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and he's been he's been a big, mature six pointer for three years. I mean, that's the you know speaks to how old he is. Like you said, I mean, every bit of seven or eight years old. And uh, on the YouTube video and on the Facebook page, I'll post you know some more pictures of him. I'll see if you can find some more um some trail cam pictures of him on the hoof you know but i mean just uh like the frame of that buck i mean if it's a 10 pointer he's gonna be you know 140s 150s i mean just the, the frame of that deer is just gigantic i mean it looks like a dinosaur <laughs> it's huge yeah. uh yeah yeah I, and then i think he i think he would go 120
1: 125 as a six point that's that's pretty impressive
0: yeah and that's like people people don't understand what it takes to shoot hundred and twenty inch, even an eight or a ten, like to break one twenty. I mean, we're in Georgia, so if you're listening, you know, and you're in Iowa, you're like, oh oh, one hundred and twenty year old, one hundred and twenty inch bucks, a year and a half old. I'm like, no, not here. You know, one hundred and twenty is a big deer. You know, I I personally have never broke one twenty. Um, but yeah, one twenty is a big deer, and for and and I I believe it ten thousand percent that it break one twenty is a six or as a you know seven technically, but. Yeah, hundred hundred percent. That'd be uh be one hundred twenty next year. Then to to miss the back of the eight pointer, but and that, I bet I, I bet you were worried. You shot it, you are like, uh oh. I bet you are like, oh crap! I've I've the eight pointer. You know. Yep, yep. I was like,
1: ooh, I'm gonna like, as soon as that arrow dropped, I mean, it was all slow motion. I was like, ah. but it it sunk in there just how I planned. It was it was awesome. As Ted Nugent would say, you know, it was the magical flight of the spirit arrow. If I ever saw one, <laughs> for sure.
0: Yeah, long live the beast. Long. Live that's the awesome. Beast, how sure. it was. Uh, you said you talked about it being kind of a family tradition to archery hunt. You know, I'm not able to do a compound. And if I could, I would. I, I love hunting with a crossbow, and that's one reason why I got a new crossbow last year because it's lighter, narrower easier to carry so I can hunt with it more throughout the year it's not as aggravating you know but uh yeah that's awesome uh back to the let's talk about your arrow setup a little bit you talked about your uh what kind of veins do you shoot and then you are going to your new broadheads what kind of broadheads are you shooting is it like a single bevel is it like a three blade muzzy or like what do you what kind of broadhead are you shooting
1: yeah so um you know i I've Of course, like all hunters, I like to shoot a broadhead that flies just like my field points. And, you know, like I said, I bought that bow back in 2007, and I got kind of set up back then. And uh, I was shooting Rage, uh, the triple blade with the rear deployment, um, which flew great. You know, they would group kind of like my uh, field points, you know. but you know, over the years, um things have changed. I used to shoot four inch veins. Uh when those quick spin veins came out, I went to the quick spins. So I went to the, I think they're a two and a half inch quick spin, maybe somewhere around there, three inch quick spin. So those are the veins I put on. And then when I was looking at, there was a, there's been a lot of like debate lately online and with hunters and things about. Expandables versus fixed blade, and uh, I did a lot of research, and it wasn't like I really had bad luck with those rages. But like I said, I missed that big buck last year, and what it came down to was when I'm in that moment, when I put all that work in, when I put all that time in, um, and I finally get a shot at that buck, you know, what do I want? on the end of that and on that feeder there's good chances that you're not going to get that perfect broadside shot so i was thinking about bone and things like that and some of the guys i've talked to said that they've shot deer broadside with expandables and they just bounced off of it like it hit a rib or something um and i was like well i don't want to do that you know so i ended up going with the tried and true uh muzzy trocar the older version with the a vented blades. It's just a three blade. Now I like three blades because in archery when you have a double blade, and a, I mean it'll still get within the pie plate. You know what I'm saying? It's not like you can't kill a deer with it. But that three blade, it has a little bit more stability on the front end. I believe having three blades, uh, it doesn't plane as bad as a two blade would. Um, and they're double beveled. You know they're sharp as crap. Um, but you know, it was like 40, 45 bucks for three of them. So that's not too bad. That's what I went with. And that thing just, I mean, it was, it went through, through them like butter.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I think the biggest thing with a broadhead that people mess up on is making sure it's sharp. You know, people like people use, people have used fixed blades for ages. I mean, think back to the Indians, arrowheads, you know, but you, had to, you gotta make sure they're sharp, and uh, <clears throat> like you said, uh, not having to worry about the angle or bone as much is a reason I used to shoot the G5 Montec because one piece of steel, you know. So and so if it hits anything, it's not like it's a removable blade. Pretty easy to sharpen still. Um, but I mean, past that, a lot of it to me is you know you gotta keep it sharp. And the next part is you gotta have confidence in it. I mean, if you're not confident in what you're shooting, there's no point. I mean, because I've got buddies who shoot rages. I've got buddies who shoot slick tricks. I've got buddies who shoot the Magnus buzz cut or the Magnus stinger, like big, like single blade, like, you know, looks like a modern day arrowhead. I've got, I shoot schwackers. A lot of people I know shoot schwackers. um, And they all kill deer. You know, they're all, to me, they're all deadly. I'm not sponsored by anybody. So I'm not, you know, I don't owe anybody anything, but I've had luck with a schwacker. But one one thing I will say about Schwackers is about one Once you kill one animal and you got to pass through and it skips off the ground, the broadhead's done. So it's more expensive, but I mean they fly true out of my crossbow. I mean I killed a bear, a doe, a buck. My wife killed a doe last year. You know, knock on wood, we've had luck out of it. So it's like for right now, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But uh, I'll definitely. In the back of my mind, I've been thinking about going back to just a old-fashioned fixed-blade broadhead because it can't mess up, you know, but there's a chance with any, like a Rage or a Schwacker, anything that's mechanical, there's a chance it's going to mess up. If you don't check everything or something gets bent or warped, I mean, you never know. But uh all in all, it's got to keep them sharp. And you got to have confidence in it, anything you do. I and mean, that's practice to fishing, hunting, anything you do outdoors, you got to be confident.
1: Yeah, for sure. And uh, not only do you want to be confident in your equipment, and it, it all comes down to personal choice, you know. Uh, you know, work, use what, what works for you and what you like. Um, but another thing is when you're talking about confidence is just even going in after that buck, like, if you don't feel like you're going to go in and kill that buck, you probably don't need to go in there and do it you know what i'm saying that's what type of hunt this was it was such high pressure that oh man i i learned so much from this last hunt it was probably the best i've ever been on but you got to be confident going in there and i i shot that whole week before and i should have been shooting for months i usually do uh but it's like i said it's just been a rough year for me and uh but when i made that when I made the decision to take those days off of work and go in there, I was like, oh, all right, it's on now. I, bet I, I have no choice. I got to get ready. But I was definitely, like I said, I was like, if I, if I knew, I was pretty sure I'd get a shot at them. So if I got that opportunity, I wanted to be in the game. And that's, that's what it takes to kill these mature bucks. Uh, it takes a lot of work, you know. It really does. It takes a lot of homework you got to know where they're at um and that, a lot of that's off season work um it could be food plots it could be mineral sites moving cameras around but just pinpointing that big buck and then staying on the outside of his bubble uh try not to you know go in and mess with them too much and then just trying to you know pick your moment to go in there and that's kind of been uh one of my biggest things I've learned this year you know
0: yeah, I've, I heard it somewhere before. I forget if it was a podcast or video. Somewhere I heard it, but it's, uh, you know, you can, with the technology nowadays, and we've kind of already touched on this, but with the camera technology, just the ability to know an inventory deer, be it over bait with a camera, obviously, you can almost know down to each deer, apart from the rut, that'll change deer travel a lot. But, you know, especially like you said, late September early season hunts where those bucks are still pretty patternable. I mean, you can know when to go and when not to go with a cell can with a cell camera, because if you would have had a week where they're just not in there, like there's not, there's no point in me putting sin in maybe to go put feet out, but to stay for, you know, half a day to hunt, you know, all right, I'm not going to go in there or the, or you can look at the weather and all right, the wind's wrong. I'm not going. So like you said, you can stay out of their bubble. You cannot screw it up. And uh yeah, I mean that's the tools we have nowadays. I mean you could you could almost if you had enough cameras and know-how, this is kind of like the Seek One boys do it. They have I don't know how many hundreds of cameras out at all times. I don't know how they I don't know how people like that keep up with it. Like the Seek One guys. But I mean they could almost go and shoot hundred percent. Like as far as going in and having a very, very good chance at a target buck they've got on camera, they know he's in there. They might not get a shot, but they know they're going to be in the game every time you go. And that's just so different from years past. I mean, even me growing up, you know, going to our hunting club or hunting behind my parents' house, used to, we would just go on a wing and a prayer. You know, we've got, back then you couldn't bait, so we'd have salt licks out or we'd be be hunting a field and just hoping for the best, you know. But nowadays, it's just, there's so much information that you can go off of to make yourself more, like you said, give yourself more confidence. Like you said, you you went in there, you went in there to kill. You weren't going in there like, Oh, let's see what we see today. You're like, no, he's going to be there at nine o'clock. I'm going to go kill him. You know, you know exactly what was going to happen. And thankfully it did.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah. You really touched on a lot there. Like, you know, and there's nothing wrong with going out there and hunting like that and, you know, going out and just seeing what happened. Heck, for the first 10 years we were down there, that's what we did. You know, we didn't just have a lot of big bucks. Um, we started off with about 360 acres, and they eventually, it grew to like 400 and something, then it grew to 600 and something. And then the, that's where we finally got kind of the acreage to pattern big deer, because, you know, big deer, they cover a lot of ground. But uh, there's nothing wrong with going out there hunting public there's nothing going on i've done it all and i enjoy it all um oh no for sure and it's kind of crazy because it really like i mean hunting used to be like a poor man's sport you know but it's not really that that much of a way anymore you know um if you're not you know lucky to have private land or to know somebody that has private land um you're going to be you know like you with that has to have a lease, well, for a lot of working guys, you know, two thousand three thousand four thousand dollars a year, that's a lot to lease out something, and that's just getting you started. that's just getting you down there somewhere to hunt, you know, so if you want to do food plots or or feeders or something, it's all on top of that, so there's nothing wrong with any type of hunting. I don't think it's just it, you know it's just how far how deep you get into it, how invested you want to get into it, and uh you know how much you want to put into it pretty much
0: yeah and, yeah and, and i'm not i wasn't saying that it was like this is the way to hunt it's just like the the ability to do it this way yeah you know, sure. and most most of the time when i go i mean i'm still just going like i go whenever i get time now you know i've got two little girls so if i get a free afternoon to hunt by God, i'm going you know i'm I'm gonna be in the woods somewhere and hopefully something good happens but uh yeah, it's just the uh, the ability to pattern deer is just tenfold over what used to be. And and I think as a result, I mean, you see a lot more. I've seen it a lot more up here in the North Georgia mountains, a lot more big deer getting killed. Like there's been a couple of good public land deer killed up here in the mountains. I'm going to interview. Did you see the one that Dylan Hollifield killed? He, he goes to North Hall.
1: I did, and I passed them in the hall
0: today. They were excited. Yeah, I talked, them, I talked talk to him last year, and I talked to him today. And uh, I, told, I, I, I mentioned to him and said, hey, see if Dylan wants to come on since y'all work together. I'll get y'all. I'm going to try to record him after the break. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in. I mean, I don't want to, you know, with that kind of stuff with public land, you don't want to give away any spots. I'm not trying to get any spots. I just want to hear the story because it sounds like they went to one spot. I think they were going to Cooper's Creek, I think. And it was closed, so they ended up going up in the mountain somewhere else. And Dylan killed a giant. Like I mean, ma- I mean, great for anywhere in Georgia, but especially mountain public land. I mean, it was a giant. Big, I don't know what it, I forget what they said it scored, but it was a big one. But
1: yeah, I, mean, man, you- I was I was so happy for him. You know, see, you know, a kid fifteen, sixteen years old that uh, loves hunting so much and gets out there and does it. You know. You can do all the apps and all that stuff, but how Dylan can yeah, that like I
0: said, that's uh, that was that's the polar opposite of what I was talking about a second ago. That's like they just they put boots on the ground, like you said, they found found a spot. I assume they scouted some, found an area, and they made it happen. But uh, yeah, I, I'm excited to hear that story. I'm 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 sure it was I'm sure it was insane because I think they were up there camping, so up on national forest camping out. And killed that deer. I mean that that has. I I can't wait to hear that story. But uh, yeah, a lot of deer like that are getting killed in North Georgia. I think as a result of feeding cameras, people know they're there. You know, I think that's uh, I mean it's it's a good thing. Some some might say it's a bad thing, but I think it's good. I mean it gets more people into hunting, gives more people a way to dive in, and like you can be as involved or uninvolved as you want to be. You know, but it, it all still works. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: for sure. Um, we always hunted public up in Pennsylvania, and it was always, it's crazy up there. I don't know if you've ever hunted up north, but in Pennsylvania, it's, uh, rifle comes in, like, the Sun Saturday after, Saturday or Sunday after Thanksgiving. It only lasts a couple weeks. Um, and kind of where the part of Pennsylvania we're at, it is literally like a county-wide deer drive. I mean, that's how many hunters are out in the woods. There's orange everywhere. And you're always running into people. Sometimes they're polite, nice, and they'll move on. Sometimes they come down and just, you know, cut you off 100 yards in front of you. So it's a whole other type of way to hunt. Um, But uh, I guess, you know, as long as you're getting out there, uh, you're enjoying God's creation, you know, and recharging your batteries, uh, kind of meditating a little bit. You know, shaking off all that stuff that happens to you the work week. That's what I enjoy about it. You know, for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, and that's yeah. When you get to the core, like you said, you had a uh, a nice, you know, good little spiritual experience, kind of a good uh, good moment uh, after your dad passed, after shooting this deer. And that's what it's all about. It's all about family traditions. You know, sharing uh, sharing those experiences with people. You know, here and past. You know, looking back at those memories. I know, I know you probably had a flood of memories after this hunt. And again, condolences to you and your family. You know, I, you know, I hate that you, hate that you lost him, but uh, that's, that's a big part about hunting. Like, uh, so on the, on this same note, like my brother-in-law killed his best buck two nights ago. And I showed you, you know, we went out, went over and helped track him, you know, getting that text from a family member or from your dad or, from somebody that hey I got him I got I got him I shot him and, you know and being able to go and help track or help drag that's 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 what it's all about man I mean like we we love going to our hunting club but I could just about go down there and not even hunt just go down there and sleep in hang out with the guys go check cameras and then cook a good meal I mean that's it's the camaraderie you know it's the this right here talking about it I mean this is a, a big reason why I wanted to start this podcast just to talk. You know, people can share their stories. It, it encapsulates them. They're, they'll be online and say forever, and just getting to hear 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 about deer getting killed. Man, I mean, that's that's a big part of it for me.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Um, you know, like
0: you said, that
1: there's a lot of things that happen in our lives, Um, and I guess you know for hunters getting that big buck or having your buddy get that big buck or your son or your dad or your brother like you're talking about i'll remember that for the rest of my life i'll remember those moments i'll remember that crystal clear like how the wood smelled what temperature it was you know all the little things that went wrong all the little things that went right um when i get that deer mounted and you know my wife's not the biggest fan of deer mounts i kind of wonder over a little bit but you know when you look at that mount that trophy it i mean i remember everything about that hunt the days leading up to it everything and there's not a whole lot of things out there that can do that you know what i'm saying besides you know things that happen in your life with kids and families and weddings and stuff like that you know
0: no, nah, for real uh i never really thought about it that way but it's like that high level of adrenaline that quick It's going to do something to your memory because like same way like i love deer mounts i mean it, if you kill a deer that means a lot to you get it mounted i mean that's my advice to anybody you know uh you know my my wife has a couple deer on the wall i've got two or three and it's like yeah they're expensive you know i've had people say man that's four or five hundred dollars a piece and now they're up pushing six hundred dollars some places you know like man do, do you really think you is smart to spend that money i'm like yeah i mean i'm gonna sit here and talk about this deer for the rest of my life and like you said remember every little detail every little piece about that hunt i mean that's i mean and yeah it'll it'll be something for my kids to deal with after i'm dead and gone but you know that's something maybe they'll sell them maybe they keep them i don't know but yeah, it'll be something for our future generations to have to worry about, but while i'm here i i love to I love to talk about the stories behind them and like you said, it just it's the memory i mean it's a crystal clear memory for all of them
1: for sure for sure man it's uh i i'm just i'm I just feel blessed you know to be able to
0: be able to do that and, and hunt that property that I hunt. It's awesome well good deal, man. Well, it's getting late. we've got to get up and teach. The hooligans in the morning go stomp out some ignorance at the North Hall High School. So uh, we'll go ahead and sign off. Thank you guys for listening, and tune in next time. Thank you for listening to the Bucktails Podcast.